Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland, and this is the first of back-to-back episodes we're doing that I'm going to be releasing in the next couple days. The first episode that you're going to come out with right now is my interview with Jesse Jensen, who is Jay Jensen on Twitter. He uh, wrote for several publications in the past. He kind of works behind the scenes at Cubs Den right now, but many of you know him from Twitter, where he gives pretty good baseball takes, and takes on a lot of other stuff. Anyway, a couple quick notes. We recorded this before Hugh Darvish went on the DL, so we will talk a bit about Hugh Darvish, but obviously we didn't know he was going to go on the DL. And also, thanks to a minor mental error by yours truly, I didn't record the first 20 minutes of this interview. So it kind of picks up midstream. The other stuff was good, but I think we got a lot of good stuff still, so... Here is my interview with Jesse Jensen. It does cause muscle cramping. It does cause fatigue. That can be hard to pitch through too. Um, so I, I mean, I'm sure that only affected one start, if if any. But uh, as far as Quintana goes, I, you know, he's he's like John Lester, and I hate to beat that drum too much because it gets said a lot. But they are very similar in their approach. He's a command guy. I've seen a few starts where he's really been squeezed. I think the start before last, for some reason, the, he was getting squeezed like crazy in the first inning. Uh, and then all of a sudden the zone opened up a little bit. <laughs> and then the zone sort of stayed there. But he kind of got the uh, benefit of – or uh, he, he – he kind of really uh, struggled because early on he wasn't getting that corner call and he had to keep coming in and coming in and coming in and he was giving up hard contact. I think he's like John Lester in the fact that if you see him not getting that one to two to three inches off the corner, he's it's, it's going to be a long day. And I think you've just seen a, quite a few of those long days plus mixed in with some of the, the weather issues that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Uh, I just, I just don't doubt guys who have a long track record, and I don't think many people realize that just because Quintana doesn't have the the flashy stuff. Like, I think people think that Kershaw grows on trees. You know, like <laughs> you're going to find a lefty who's just going to shut everybody down every time he's out there. That's not the case. Finding a major league, a major league pitching is hard. <laughs> Being a pitcher is hard. Hitting major league pitchers hard. Being a major leaguer is hard. All of it's hard. Uh, he he's always given two hundred. Except I think he pitched like one hundred fifty innings. 80, excuse me, one hundred eighty-five innings last year. Except for that, he put like three. Or was it four or five? Two hundred inning starts or something seasons, like that. Yeah, seasons together. Uh, that's what you're getting for Quintana. He's a guy who's he's a one hundred sixty-two games type of pitcher. You know, he's the one. You want during a season eating up innings every fifth day, giving you really strong. I mean, he's not an innings eater. He's a still a very good pitcher, uh, but he not only is he a very good pitcher, but he will eat up innings. You just got to let these guys come around. I, Quintana, I will probably be close to his career averages uh, right around just after the All Star break. I bet, and you Darvish is going to have some electrifying starts that are. Um, 
uh, are really going to be, I, I can see him doing a, uh, I mean, do we have, does the Cubs pitcher have a complete game this season? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. No, I just, yeah. I don't think so. I think the I, farthest it's gotten to the eighth inning, maybe. Yeah. So I, I, I wouldn't doubt if you Darvish were, was the first to get there if he's really rolling. Though Hendricks is kind of the more efficiency type of pitcher, but uh, yeah, that's the way I see it. I, I, I wouldn't fret about those two guys. I'd be very happy that you've got you Darvish and Quintana for several more seasons after this, and that the Cubs don't have to worry about pitching next off season really, and can go and get one of those big bats that's out there. Exactly. Um, I guess I'll ask one more. The, this Tyler Chatwood thing, uh-huh. with the walks and stuff. Good God, it, uh-huh. it's difficult to watch sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you know, for me, for some reason, I tend to miss the Chatwood starts. Just be, I've got three kids, and all of them are in soccer and baseball at the same time right now. So spring is always tough uh, for me to make sure I see a lot of baseball. Um, with my eye, I always follow the numbers. I'll check the box scores. Uh, so I, you know, I can't really nail down what he's struggling with, but I got to tell you, I mean, he's walking 7.8 per nine <laughs> and, uh, and really, I mean, he's struggling. I mean, really his peripherals don't look great. I mean, if you're a believer in FIP, you know, his, his FIP doesn't support even, uh, his 3.74 ERA. Um, I think, you know, the Cubs kind of thought he was one of these, uh, uh, spin rate guys, right. Mm-hmm. That They're going to be able to unlock his spin rate and really be, um, possibly better than a five. But I think you're talking about guy, as long as that 7.88, which is even for him, you know, looks like twice, twice his career rate. Uh, even for him, that's twice his career rate. Um, I think you're looking at still just a really solid five and young and uh, youngish um, who is still probably a better option than John Lackey. You know, that's how I would look at Chatwood. I wouldn't get too wrapped up. I basically. I've been used to for so long, just chalking up the, if the, if we win the the fifth starters game, then that's something you should cheer <laughs> because uh, typically those aren't the games. Those are the, those are the games you're looking to, to tough it out uh, so, you know, through run support or so on and so forth. Yeah, exactly. And the Cubs do have this thing, especially Theo and these guys where they, they've grabbed a couple Rockies pitchers. And thinking that, you know, getting them out of course Field will improve their numbers and stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's worked out great for him with Chatwood and Eddie Butler so far, but. Yeah, I, you know, it's Coors Field is a hard nut to crack, <laughs> you know, as far as what that effect really is. Uh, you know, I remember reading um, that. Uh, you know, pitchers. What was everything that something about the, the the Coors Field hangover, where uh, pitchers really struggle away. Uh, that that's pitchers really struggle away from Coors too, because they're so used to having to just throw strikes. You know, because you cannot walk guys in Coors Field. You just can't. Between the ball flying out and then because the outfield fences are back so far there's a lot of green for 
balls to land in play. You just can't walk guys. So they're under a lot of pressure to throw strikes, to throw strikes, to throw strikes. So you get used to throwing that way, practicing that way, coming up with that approach. And then you go on the road and then it could be a struggle too, because you're just so used to challenging the zone and whatnot. Now that's not exactly the case. What you're seeing with, with, uh, with Chatwood, if he were walking eight guys, a uh, eight guys <laughs> per nine in Coors field, uh, I don't think, I don't think he'd be making his next start. Um, but uh, there's, there's, it's just a tough nut to crack that uh, the riddle of Coors Field and what the effect really is. And I think there's a lot of research still being done on that. Uh, in the case of the Cubs, I don't know. Uh, uh, I have been really impressed with Murrow um, mm-hmm. as, as far as just his, you know, his presence on the mound. He's an intimidating figure. I didn't even realize that he ran his fastball up that hot, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he's and, very, he's very aggressive too, which I like. Yeah. Yeah. So he challenges the zone and I think you can do, you know, if you've got a 98, 99 mile per hour fastball, uh, I think you, you feel okay about, <laughs> about throwing strikes. Um, just put a quick look on fan graphs. You know, his, uh, his fastball is even up kind of nearly half a tick, um, on the, on the, uh, on the miles per hour on the velo on the, on his, on his four seamer, um, uh, at 98.3 is really, uh, where he's sitting. Uh, that's pretty incredible. Last year it was 97. Oh, uh, let me see here. Yeah. Cause I remember him as a starter. Yeah. Like with right. the Mariners and stuff, but he was, I never thought of him as throwing like 97, 98. Of course, switching to the bullpen can let you throw harder. Yeah. So, right. Um, uh, sorry, just switching over tomorrow here. I was uh, caught up. I thought I was on the wrong page here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, when he, I mean, it, he's just one of those incredible throw him in the bullpen and see what happens guys. And he just, you know, worked out. He's kind of what I wanted Edwin Jackson to be <laughs> where I thought mm-hmm. Edwin Jackson. Sure. He can't make it as a starter, but he's throwing 95. He's sitting 95. Well, if he's sitting 95 as a starter, that's basically where Murrow was. Right. I was like, yeah, let's throw him in the pen and he can dial that up to 97, right? 98. And yeah. of, course that, of course that didn't work out. <laughs> well, the thing with um, Edwin Jackson that I always had is that, he had his fastball had no movement. Zero. It was, it like, was like a straight line. Yeah, it was like Bob Howery. <laughs> just you throw that straight fastball, and it was like batting practice. It's <laughs> just a faster version of batting practice. You see it out of the hand and stroke it. And exactly. And uh, but yeah, Murrow's a. I think he's one of those great. I think he's one of the really good signings that we're not talking about really because of the season so we- weird and janky and we're either blowing guys out or uh, <laughs> the Cubs are either blowing guys out or getting beat really badly. And then, you know, I re- you know what I re- really liked yesterday that um, I really liked that. And I'm pretty sure it was yesterday's game. And Mara was, he was out there and um, was he out there in the ninth or was that ye- yesterday's game? No, was he was in the ninth yesterday. Yeah. He was in the ninth. Um, I really, yeah. I really liked that. Uh, I really like that he was out there, you know, protect, you know, protecting that one run uh, deficit rather than trying, trying to save him, especially with the uh, kind of disparate amount of work he's getting. Yeah. You know, actually when we were talking about Chatwood and stuff, it reminded me of another topic I wanted to talk about uh, Mike Montgomery. Uh-huh. And now 
I don't, you know, it's one of those things where I don't want to blame the Cubs or whatever, but it almost feels like he's being like, it's really, he's really had a disservice done to him this year. And it's just like, he's barely pitching. And when he does, he's getting hit pretty hard. And it's just like, would he be better off if the Cubs just moved him somewhere so he could start? You know, I think that makes him a really strong candidate for being traded for the, you know, if the Cubs really think like he's sort of a surplus talent, uh, you know, would you really be heartbroken if he was in a deal for a guy that helps you somewhere else? Uh, for me, I, I really like Montgomery. Uh, that's a really nice lefty to have. Uh, I, 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 and I'm not sure the white, I know that the white Sox were really tinkering with the idea of doing this sort of piggyback, starting them three or four innings for the starter and then three or four innings for the next guy. It'd be really nice to see the Cubs commit to that. Maybe just for a, uh, for one, be it, be it Chatwood, you know, you Mm -hmm. get, you get three to four and then Montgomery gets three to four and you basically both go in the bullpen and warm up like starters, uh, knowing you're going to start in a clean inning. Uh, I, I, I really, I feel like that's kind of the, one of the newer ideas that's been out there that's never really been committed to, you know, you had the like pitcher batting eighth for a while, which was all the rage for a bit. (laughs) And, and we kind of committed to that, got some data, don't really inconclusive. Um, I'd really like to see someone, especially a rebuilding team uh, who can really take that time to experiment, find out, can you know, is it possible to improve the basically first six, seven innings of any ball game by, by employing that sort of strategy uh, or that tactic, I guess. But yeah, well, I guess the Tampa did the other day did that thing where they were starting Sergio Romo before like two games in a row. See, I one inning. That's right. I forgot the Rays were, were working with that. So, see, this, so that's the kind of thing that fascinates me where teams that really commit to an idea that it's not, making a bold choice, either, either commit to a really bad choice. Uh, I, I, I find committing to a bad choice um, a little more refreshing than uh, being timid about a good choice. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it was, uh, although then somebody on Twitter, maybe it was uh, Dubinsky or someone was saying that it was a, put up a, a link to a thing that, well, the Rays are just doing it so they can limit their st- actual starters don't start. So then, in arbitration hearings, they can say they're not starters to get less money. And I'm like, I hope that's not the reason. Yeah. I I just don't think you'd want to do that. (laughs) I think you really, I think any team is out there really trying to figure out a way to win. I really do. You know, I think you're trying, uh, if you come up with an idea and you try to do that, but I can see that. I mean, you saw it in the NFL with tight ends and wide receivers. Um, well, it's not necessarily one for one in because they don't, it's not the, case as far as arbitration goes but um uh or excuse me the same exact case but you saw tight ends try to make the case that they were wide receivers uh and i can see that you know wanting to be a starter and getting paid like a starter and i think that's a, a lot of what it's it's kind of the chicken or the egg type of thing right like it's kind of like the save stat uh really you know if you're collect- everyone wanted to be a closer because we thought people are being paid on the save stat, mm-hmm. which we all know is ludicrous. It's no better than the win loss stat for a starter. 
but it kind of creates a distortion in the market then where we have uh, players that have probably lesser talent than seventh or eighth inning guys getting paid more uh, just because of their arbitrary usage in the ninth inning. Uh, whereas really most of us think that, and of course we have little data to actually make the argument, but most starters should be used a lot more like Andrew Miller was last night, or most closers should be used a lot more like Andrew Miller was last night, where he is, he's, he's a fireman. When there's a fire, you call him in because you don't know if a pivotal moments in the sixth inning, the seventh inning, eighth inning, or the ninth inning, the pivotal moment could be in the seventh inning, you know? Um, and that's when you bring in Andrew Miller. And then if he doesn't have to throw too many bullets, you spend too many bullets, you throw him out there again, the next inning. Uh, yeah. And it, it's and like, look at that game last night worked exactly like that. Exactly. The best chance was the seventh inning. They got out of that the eighth and ninth. Nothing happened. Right. And, you know, it makes, uh, you know, they got a pretty good bullpen. They're pretty long in the bullpen there. So they've got some of their options in the ninth, but it's not like the Cubs don't either. <laughs> you know, they're going to, they got some guys that can, um, you know, be used a lot like Miller, uh, you know, Miller being left-handed is a little bit different too. Um, I don't know if that makes a huge difference or not. Uh, but I, you know, for me, that's where it's kind of similar to me where it's like, boy, I really hope it's not how we're paying guys. That's, uh, how we're using guys in a game. Cause it kind I mean, it doesn't, it, it, it you know, if you're really trying to, if you're trying to go out there and you're trying to win, you would think you'd try to uh, use your talent, use your personnel in the best possible way um, to, to reach your goal. Yeah. And I guess I'm, I always try to stay in the middle ground. I know that there's a lot of money steps involved, but I'm not one of these people. that's like the money thing is like everything. And like, <laughs> I try to be middle and sometimes you get yeah. being in the middle, you get ripped up in between the two sides. Yeah. Right. Well, in the case of, and I always think that there's always three camps here. You've got the players and they're what they want and you got the owners and what they want, but the front office is really kind of in between the front office is really just trying to typically trying to win. If not now, then later. Um, and you know, I don't, maybe, maybe if you're rebuilding, you would, uh, consider, I mean, if you're willing to play with guys service time, like they, like the Cubs did with Chris Bryant, um, maybe you would be willing to save, uh, save an arbitration on, uh, you know, for when you're going to go and sign a free agent. I mean, I, it's hard to say no to that. I mean, or, or it's hard to say, give you a definite, definitely not or no. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the whole thing with that, the collusion debate thing in the off season. It was one of those, like it, it, part of it was probably, yes, they're trying to keep salaries down. But another part of it is a lot of people for years had said, we shouldn't pay people when they're 30 years or older. And people finally figured out they're not paying people when they're 30 years or older. Now yeah. there's lots of flaws with the system. That's gotta be fixed now, but. Yeah. And I think that was, uh, my stance has always been that last season was a perfect storm of the latter of what you just said. And the fact that so many big names were going to be on the market next season, um, or this off season. And you've, you've got, you've got front offices that really covet some of these guys and want to save some of those bullets, uh, to be able to acquire them. And I know that the, um, and I, I know you have this, uh, 
you know, the, that the teams want to stay below the tax so that they can go hog wild next season. Uh, it's, and I don't know that that's that different than the international spending strategy that Theo and company, I guess if they didn't come up with sort of made popular as far as blowing up, <laughs> you know, blowing the entire, uh, blowing, blowing through the, the tax, uh, the the budget and the tax to to sign all those international players uh, and then take the take the punishment thereafter. Um, uh, I, I, you know I don't know. You know as far excuse me. Uh, so as far as uh, last year's you know so that's how I kind of see how the 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 free agent um, how the free agent market went last season and I I, I kind of likened it to. Uh, there's a sometimes we we see something and it looks created and forced and uh, it looks like some someone had their hand in it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, not unlike if you wanted to get philosophical, you know, when you look at a human being, you would think that there's a creator, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now uh, there are um, uh, formations in the world. Uh, geological formations uh, that when you look at them, they look like they were created by some designer. Mm-hmm. Um, perfect uh, hexagons in the soil or um, ridges, uh, perfectly lined ridges, uh, cliff ridges. Mm-hmm. And while they look like they were created by a designer and you would, if you, if you were to use your, 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 your human logic, you would look at it and be like, of course that was made by someone. Well, what happens is, is research and, and, and science comes along. And what do we de- determine that um, chaos, water erosion, just the way it goes up to the shore and comes back up to the shore and comes back. And that process, just by its very nature, that entropy itself creates a pattern create something that looks like it's been created, right? Um, uh, and it'd be easier if I could show you that in, in one of these yeah. geological images. But yeah, but, that's, <laughs> but, that's, but yeah, I know but, exactly what you're saying because I always say this, people want to form patterns. Right, exactly. The thing that people want to do. You see something, you want to put a pattern on it. Right. It's why we see Jesus's face in toast. Yeah. <laughs> it's we, the human eye wants to see something, wants to see uh, it because of our knowledge. And it has always helped towards our survival to this day <laughs> uh, that something, uh, that something must have a hand in it and created when really it was natural processes. And that's kind of how I saw the off season last year. There was all these, uh, uh, external this external environment that created what we saw which was um you, you saw teams trying to save for the the following off season and you had an off season, and you had a free agent class that was filled with guys that were questionable as far as who you wanted to commit all that all those dollars to mm-hmm. yeah for sure and uh-huh. less, and so that's why and, I wanted to see a little more proof that something nefarious was happening. And I was a little more reserved on making, passing that judgment. Yeah, that's what I was too. And I'll just add one more thing on this. There was a bit of a debate, even like the past week about like JD Martinez uh-huh. and he's been doing so great. And like, no one would sign him. And some of the people were even like, well, the Cubs should have signed him. And I'm like, 
I, I had the theory. I'm like, look, J.D. Martinez is a great player, and I would have signed him, but the Cubs didn't need him. Where was he going to fit? They already had so many pieces in the outfield. There was never – most teams should have signed him. Yeah. But I just don't think he would have fit in the Cubs. Well, in my, I, you know, I saw it last night. I don't think J.D. Martinez makes that play Schwarber made in left field to start the game last night. Uh, he's a liability in left field. The Cubs can't. They, the Cubs don't have a DH. I don't think – and this is kind of one of those things, too, where it's like NL teams just sort of didn't think about J.D. Martinez. Uh, so they weren't in there pushing up the cost of J.D. Martinez. So when the cost of J.D. Martinez was revealed, everyone was like, man, that's a great deal. Why didn't we get that deal? Why weren't we in on that? Well, if you're not in pushing up the price, uh, you're – the, the, that's how the deal looked. I mean, maybe you you can make the you can make the argument that the Cubs should have just been in checking in on the price and what have you. But you know, uh, basically, if if someone's not your target and you've got other targets that you're making uh, that you're concerned about, you know, and you want to keep close and you want them to think that you want them and that they're your priority, you know, sometimes it is hard to chew gum and, and walk at the same time in that kind of scenario. Uh, but in the case of JD Martinez, this is the Cubs. I mean, we're, they weren't, they didn't have, I mean, I would love, I would love to have a DH. I wish the, I am an, a pro NLDH guy. I really am one on the labor side. It creates an, another job, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, another, basically another starter salary. Uh, uh, two, I don't have to watch pitchers bat. <laughs> I really, I don't like watching pitchers bat. No one has a, I mean, um, pitchers mostly bunt and no one has a favorite bunter, uh, though someone will probably tweet me and say you're wrong and everyone's entitled to their wrong opinion. But, (laughs) and, um, uh, 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 you know, I just don't like, I like watching offense. I don't like seeing innings roll over and then we walk the eighth guy, uh, to get, because there's two outs, we we walk the eighth hitter to get to the the nine hole hitter. Um, I I don't like it. You know, you're on a roll. I want to see I want to see crooked numbers. <laughs> I want to I want to see it keep going. I don't want it the whole time dread getting to the ninth hitter um, when we're in the second inning or third inning. Um, so that that's where my stance is. So as far as the DH goes, I you know I'm for it. If they had the DH, uh, I would totally J, JD Martinez would have I, undoubtedly been a target. But if JD Martinez without the DH would have been a Cubs target. I'm pretty certain Boston was going to outbid most anyone for JD Martinez. So you you would just see, you would see him not be a Cub, uh, but at a higher probably be getting paid more. Yeah. And it's not like the Cubs are in direct competition with the Red Sox. So what's the point in driving up the price on them? It's that, yeah, that, that was their number one guy. They needed G they felt they needed JD Martinez, uh, uh, you know, David, Mar- David Ortiz is a huge hole for them, you know, uh, production wise. So, or, you know, the, and it's a culture there. They're used to having good DH because of David Ortiz. Yeah, no, I, I'm not. And it's one of those things. It's like, I'm not going to, I just don't want to make a big deal out of every guy that the Cubs didn't sign. Cause they, <laughs> they spent a lot of money. I mean, yeah. You yeah. Darvish got a big contract. Yeah, so. yeah. I wouldn't say that the Cubs are stingy, uh, you know, and I think you're going to see them be very aggressive next season. I think you're going to see some really uh, uh, crazy, crazy uh, 
contracts next well, season. Actually, too. That brings me to my one last question before I get to what I really want to ask you about. But um, uh, Harper Machado, which side are you on in the great debate? <laughs> well, hey, man, I just uh, for me, boy, man, Harper is just you get that look, uh, man. That's tough. You know, it's hard to lose, really, because with Machado, even if he struggles with the bat, you're getting great. You know, you're getting elite defense. Uh, I assume if he plays, he'd play third base, mm-hmm. and Chris, and you'd have Chris Bryant then as your uh, probably your regular right fielder. I assume. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then you also have the fact that. <laughs> <laughs> Both are so exciting. I, I I I just have had my heart set on Bryce Harper for so long that I didn't think that uh, Machado was even a possibility. You know? Um, yeah. So I guess just because I've had my heart set on Bryce Harper for so long, um, that's kind of where I'm leaning. Uh, otherwise. Oh boy, I, I could watch Manny Machado play third base for the Cubs all day, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I, I kind of like the idea of getting that left-handed bat too. I really, I, I like having that other left-handed bat that really solidifies the middle of the lineup uh, with Anthony and Rizzo and uh, Kyle Schwarber, knowing that boy, it looks like looks like Hayward is kind of what he is, mm-hmm. um, and they weren't able to unlock a lot of that ability uh, you know, you're going to get great defense out of Hayward. So it's not like it's a total loss, but um, obviously if you're going to commit that kind of money to a guy, you're hoping you're getting the glove and the bat. Yes. So. Yeah. And you know, Harper's numbers this year are very interesting because he's got like, you know, the incredibly high OPS, but his batting average is like two thirty. It's one of the weirdest things you've ever yeah. Well, I'm looking at it now. His, I mean, you gotta, I gotta assume that you gotta chalk that up to BABIP a little bit. I mean, his BABIP is 198. Oh yeah. That's uh, really bad. <laughs> so, I mean, career wise, he's 316 in that category. Um, so I, I mean, that's just, I don't watch a lot of Washington national games. So I mean, that, I just have to go off of these numbers. If I, I would guess that balls just aren't falling in play. And of course, home runs don't count as balls in play either. So, (laughs) so, uh, but, uh, boy, I I don't know. Um, It's a tough, it's a tough choice. Yeah. It's a tough choice. Machat. I don't, I also, I'm just, I think in terms of what's the safest choice over long term, right? Mm -hmm. That's how I typically look at it for, for me. I feel like Bryce Harper is, always always going to get on base mm-hmm. and hit for and hit for power whereas you know Machado he you know he's had season I mean he's up there right now he's walking a lot he's getting on base this season but that hasn't been the norm he's had years before where he struggled yeah yeah so to me I think for me it's Bryce Harper because I think he's a safer bet long term in that category and I really like guys getting on base. It's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's still kind of stuck in that mentality a bit, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, especially for, a, I mean, that's what I want my right fielder doing is getting on base and hitting dingers, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and, and, and playing good, uh, right field, but I don't need, you know, it doesn't have to be, um, uh, 
You know, it doesn't it, it doesn't have to be elite, absolutely elite right field defense. Yeah. Whereas Machado, you get elite third base defense and possibly the season he's getting now or some combination of the last few seasons and now. So uh, but right now, I, I if I had to make a bet, if I had to bet on a player, it would be Harper as the safer bet. All right. So now we can finish with what I wanted to talk about. And I will warn if anyone here listens, watches the Americans. I'm <laughs> yes. To, I'm going to spoil big time. So if you haven't caught up to the episodes or whatever, uh, get off there now. But <laughs> And I didn't finish last night, so. All right. Okay. So, well, with that, how are your feelings on this last season of the Americans? You know what I'm like? What, here's what I really love. You've had this really – it's about Philip and Elizabeth's relationship, right? When it comes down to it, that's what the show is. It's a, it's a, it's a family drama, with, and the external environment is international intrigue and set in the 80s, which makes it cool and unique and fun and um, somewhat – and it hits on some historical things occasionally. Uh, and that's just enough to keep me interested. But what I really love is that, that Elizabeth Philip – relationship how it grew over time um they you know in the first in the first in the first season you know they weren't really a committed couple uh, but then they became as much a team as a as a couple as they were in the in the field um doing uh doing their work and but what was always inevitable was because they have they have their relationship but there's always in their relationship three people in their relationship it's those two and uh the center mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and those are in in their case it has always been like three equal members of that uh, of that family heads of that family and here we are in this season finally getting to the point where the third person in the room, the third person in that relationship, the center is driving a wedge between them, you know, where they are. So you have all these conflicts. You have one person's dedication to country, one person's dedication to the other person. And it's all just a mess and it's chaos. And I wish I had finished last night to know how it goes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But, uh, I, you know, it, it's just been a really exciting, a really exciting season of uh, to finish this off. I think for anyone who has uh, stuck around, and I think what they've done is they've taken, they smartly taken what you're seeing um, on the news every day with the, the Russia Putin uh, U.S. government news, and they've kind of. Uh, switched it around you know there's this narrative that there's a deep state at play mm-hmm. in the united states well of course on that show there's de- in this season the undermining of gorbachev is a deep state play mm-hmm. uh, so you're you're getting that sort of parallel to u.s news in that storyline yeah um, and it's really it's really a fascinating because there's always been this underlying tension with philip and elizabeth uh-huh. Where like Elizabeth is like Mother Russia above all, 
Mm-hmm. And Philip has always been, he's loyal, but he questions. Well, and he's, and what he's said in the last couple episodes is he's a human. He's not a robot. He's, he, 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 he has to question because he wants to keep his humanity, right? He, has, he wants to stay a human. And so that's why I think he was so uh, wrecked when he found out Elizabeth was a part of that, um, uh, that assassination that left uh, a seven-year-old uh, mm-hmm. or orphaned. And, and not only orphaned, but left there alone to, 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 to view her parents, you know, being mm-hmm. uh, violently killed. So it was, that, that was very unsettling when that moment happened. I did, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't, you, you believe in, there's a human in there in Elizabeth. And at that moment, it felt like there wasn't. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And uh, so I, I was very mad at Elizabeth <laughs> for like a week. <laughs> yeah. And then, but then like, you know, it's amazing that, Elizabeth finally like it clicked yeah. and she realized like, you know, the episode before this find the one that just aired where she finally, you know, came to Jesus and was like, you know, wait a minute, maybe we aren't always doing the right thing. Right. Cause she listens to this diplomat and he's not giving away the farm. Uh-huh. He's trying to make a deal with the Americans that will help everyone. And her handler, you know, she's no, we're going to, no, we're, you're going to take him out. And she's like, why? The first time she's ever said to the center, to the KGB, why am I supposed to do this? Mm-hmm. And it was like a huge breakthrough. In, in a place that Philip had gotten much earlier, you know, in the, in the, um, over the seasons. Uh, so you have her questioning, you have, uh, so, oh man, I, now I need to, now I feel like I need to get off of this with you and go watch it. But, <laughs> but, um, uh, she, you know, so it'll, it'll be sad when it ends because it's really my only drama I'm watching right now. And, uh, I followed it from the beginning. Uh, but, uh, the Americans, anyone who hasn't seen it, you should definitely give it a go. I hope, Hopefully you skipped over all that spoiler stuff and yeah. just heard this. <laughs> just the <laughs> but, Yeah. So, um, but I found it a, a, to be a fascinating season. And then the, really the family dynamics haven't, you know, you saw this pay the, the page character really developing. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, kind of feels like it's been a, like she developed a season too late where <laughs> and I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen last night's episode. So, uh, all of it. So I don't know how that all plays out, but, um, and you also, you just get the sense that, uh, poor Henry is just going to get, he's about to get just slammed or something. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what, but the way they've been building him up this season, yeah. these, like little hints of like, you know, they bring him in and like, and you know, he's going to get hit. You don't know when, yeah. but, and I was worried that he was kind of in that situation, like the, uh, what was it, like the um, uh, the third child or whatever on Family Matters. Mm-hmm. Like all, all of a sudden she wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> all this, the seasons go on. It's like, where did she go? Um, <laughs> it kind of felt like that was going to happen with him where I was like, we don't know what to do with him. So we're going to stick him in uh, boarding school. <laughs> and so he's out of the house and uh, now we don't really know what to do, but now, yeah, um, uh, yeah, I'm curious to, I'm curious to find out how, how it all ends. So, yeah. And you know, that's it. People are, 
doing the Breaking Bad comparison now, of course, with uh, Stan and... Um, oh, yeah. Finding and, out... And Hank. Right, making that discovery in the at the end. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that discovery um, piece has sort of been a real part of modern television. You kind of had... Because Weeds was really good for three seasons, it was all you know. It was all about keeping that secret. Uh, <laughs> Dexter was kind of that way for three or four seasons, where it was it was all about keeping his secret. Really, the whole uh, it's kind of become a, uh, a a go-to TV trope right now is mm-hmm. you know keeping the secret. But at the same time, I'm a, I'm an addict for it. I love <laughs> I love the the suspense of trying to keep the secret. Yeah, and well, that's the final thing I'll say about the Americans is. You know, it's got the great premise and all the, but the acting in this show is amazing. Correct. Yeah, it's very good. Um, and I have a BFA in acting, uh, so that's my background. Uh, so, and I've uh, worked professionally before um, and occasionally do still. Uh, but that is, Carrie Russell does fine work, uh, the, but the cast top to bottom does uh, uh, very fine work. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, I'm thinking like, I seriously would give Emmys to Harry Russell, um, Reese my I'm trying to think of all the people in, um, I would definitely give one to Noah Emmerich for sure. Mm-hmm. And of course my, uh, favorite character in the whole show, Oleg. Yes. Oleg. You gotta give him an Emmy. Come yeah, on. Absolutely. I'm just scared. Like he, I just don't want anything bad to happen to Oleg. <laughs> I know. Let him get back to his family, please. I know. I know. I know. I love how the, the, what the, what good television does is gets you rooting for people you don't think you would root for. You know, you wouldn't you you wouldn't think you would root for, um, whether they're bad actors or not. You know, not acting, but like uh, yeah. bad you know characters. <laughs> but it's kind of funny too that you're like Philip and Elizabeth. Please get away! But then you're also like, I hope I kind of hope Stan catches them. Yeah, right. Because you're rooting for Stan too. Like. <laughs> So that's what good TV does. I think you're seeing that with Barry too on uh, HBO for anyone who hasn't seen Barry, they're doing similar stuff to that where once again, he's a guy with a secret. They're making it. They're trying really hard to make you not like Barry. Yeah. They're trying. Yeah. They're, they're really trying to figure out how they can make you like Barry, but do the most despicable things. (laughs) They're, they're doing a good, they're going to do, they're going to take that to the, to the, to they're going to take, they're going to find out where we won't go as an audience. (laughs) Exactly. Or or maybe not. All right. Well, I guess that's a good thing to end it on. (laughs) All right. Well, Sean, thanks. This has been a lot of fun. Yep. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. We'll do it again sometime. Okay. All right. A couple more notes as we uh, go away. Uh, if you want to send me a message, you can email me at holycowpod at gmail. Or you can send me a tweet at sth85, which is my Twitter handle. And, you know, if you have any comments, anything, just leave them there. And I would also like to ask you if you could leave a five-star review and a comment on iTunes. If you subscribe on iTunes, please rate and review so I know you're listening. Um, you know, it's nice for me to know who's listening. Anyone is listening anyway. Um, and we're going to be back with another podcast tomorrow with, uh, Will Chase from Cubs Insider. So stay tuned for that. Thank you. <laughs>